Today for the first time we have with us a Forbes 30 under 30 awardee Sumit Ranka. He is the CEO and co-founder of ThinkPod, a motivational merchandise brand and also the co-founder for Innovate, a co-working space which was recently acquired by Oyo Rooms. So let's dive into our conversation and know more about Sumit. We are three friends who met in college and now are working in diverse fields across the globe. Curious to know about what our friends are up to. So here we are, connecting, talking and learning from our friends. In this podcast, we are sharing extraordinary insights from our not-so-ordinary friends, working in various industries and sharing their stories and their journey so far. These are your hosts, Hiloni Punathar, Adit Kothari, and Tapan Desai. And this is What The Hat. Subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss on any episodes. Uh, Sumit has been a dear friend and a mentor for me since the beginning, I believe since college. But a lot of my entrepreneurship journey has been with constant support and motivation from Sumit. So I am extremely happy to invite you on the show. Same for me. Like when I think about Sumit, I think of the famous Stanford speech that uh, Steve Jobs gave in 2005. You know, he talks about connecting the dots in that speech. Like dots are major life events that happen, which eventually shapes you personally and professionally. He said uh, that you can only connect those dots looking back. And if I look back now, I'm certain that one such dot was given to me by in my first year of engineering by Sumit. Uh, He took a chance on me and gave me this creative outlet in a very technical setting. I really think what I'm doing professionally right now is a direct result of that. So thank you, Sumit, for doing that. And thanks for talking to us today. Uh, anytime. I think I even I didn't know that I made that impact. Good. Yeah, I'm happy. Someone somewhere is doing something. Cool. So uh, let's uh, start from the top. Uh, Sumit, uh, why engineering? See, so basically I was very adamant on doing engineering from very start. It sounds funny. It's not something that it's childhood or nothing like that sort. But yeah, I wanted to do it from a very, very long time since the time I think I can recollect. The reason was from, uh, from I guess, from my childhood days, I was a big fan of automobiles. And I don't know how I ended up in electronics and telecommunication. I had ventured out to become an automobile engineer. Somewhere I know how I ended up in EXTC, but my real goal was to get into automobiles. So when I was small, I used to work on uh, drawing cars and read about them, how do they work, etc., etc. I was working on a couple of projects on automobile, like designing a self golf cart before I got into engineering. And when the final scores came out and I started scouting for automobile offering engineering com- uh, colleges, uh, there was only one in Bombay. Uh, in Bhaikala, it was called Sabu Siddhik College, and the other was in Pune called VIT, Vishwakarma Institute of Technology. I remember there were just these two course, uh, colleges which were offering a course in automobile, and with the kind of friends and everything that I had built over a period, I don't know, it was a choice that I had to make that time amongst against friends versus the dream that I wanted to. I don't know why I ended up getting into EXTC. Not that I regret now, but yeah. It was just a coincidence that I ended up in electronics and telecommunication. 
anything, any important lessons that you learned during your college life that are still helping you? I know you did a bunch of things in college. We all were a part of it uh, uh, one way or the other, but uh, any any lessons that stand out? 100%, all of these things came out together. For some reason, I don't know. I felt somewhere that college was, uh, most of the people look at college as just education. What I feel is when we get into this senior college, basically, what do we call it, 13th in India? Yeah. So graduate college, yeah, sorry. So graduate colleges, I believe uh, it's an age where you are not actually looking for knowledge. You're just looking at knowledge along with execution. Like it's not a place where you can just gain knowledge and just sit with it. It's something that you gain and you execute, you implement, or you experience it maybe at a field visit or while doing projects or something like that. And that's exactly what started happening. Once we started engineering, we started, so we were very, uh, we amongst my friends, we were very early in getting uh, uh, participations in all these college festivals, those events, managing, organizing, could it be a volunteer or a committee member or something. And that gave us a lot of exposure that normally engineers get only studies and projects exposure. And that gave us a management exposure, a look an exposure to manage people, to manage events. So today, when you see behind, the real lesson that we learned is, even if you can build something beautiful, unless until you know how to sell it, it's of no point. And that's something that we learned the biggest there, that along with building it, we were learning how to sell it in engineering. And that's something I felt was a brilliant lesson in college. I think I absolutely agree. For me, the foundation of marketing was college. A lot of management insights that we still use in our everyday business has been from college. So DJ was like a complete, I would say a big internship experience where you took up all the knowledge and now like like you're doing more real life execution out of that. 100% and you are way ahead of others because for example, we did something called as TFI. I, I remember I was in my third year. Heloni and Atit were in their second year, if I'm not wrong. Correct. First year. First, first, first year. Ah, sorry. You guys were in your first year. I was in my third year. And we came up with something called as TFI. I guess it was just a general meeting where we were asking all you guys what different can we do. And we came across two of you guys as creative people. So, And I remember Dhawal Shroff was there. He was really good with his camera or something. He was in his second year. And we thought, why not do something creative with all you set of people? And we tried this video animation, video things, everything, uh, creative video making, etc. And they worked really well. We got really good appreciation. I remember, I don't remember what do you guys used to call it. It was something uh, flash animation or something. There was a word that you guys... Stop motion. Flash, ah, stop motion, stop motion videos. Yeah, yeah. And we started making those stop motion videos. And you guys though i know it was a tedious job you guys used to show it as if it's a very simple thing that you guys used to do and if today you ask me now i know heloni is in digital marketing maybe she maybe how we made it is not that important than the importance of those stop motion videos now today heloni when she pitches to a client the first thing she pitches sir videos are most important because people look at it and connect immediately so we understood the importance of videos way before people were actually going forward. Like 2016 or 17 is a year when the world started moving towards more video content and less picture content. And somewhere I feel we were pretty early in recognizing that 2010, though we didn't execute something in 2010-11 on a larger scale in the business circle, 
but in our self knowledge i guess we gain decent enough knowledge on those uh, lines to add to your point i would say that uh, other than the video part like one important thing i learned was we like we coming in after college or during weekends and working things out trying to figure out things like what will work what won't work that was like a real life lesson because you learn about successes and failures there and there because when you launch your video like how does the crowd react to it what do they see in it and what did you think about it like all of that perspective changes a lot so that's like that that was very important as well 100% and you had nothing to lose back then yep Yeah, yeah. Your feedback. Your feedback. Nothing to lose. There's no one judging you. There's no grades or anything that you're under pressure or something. That environment that we got in college, I guess we were very fortunate to get that environment in college also. The crowd that we get in DJ, everyone mm-hmm. is good in their curriculum, but they are brilliant outside of uh, their regular coursework as well, right? So that's something that is very important, and that is part of DJ. DJ's culture. Hundred percent, hundred percent. I remember I was, I am a board advisor to the electronics and telecommunication department of our college, and in the board meeting, I remember my suggestion when sir asked me if you have any inputs. They were discussing all curriculars and everything. I frankly speaking did not have much as a contribution when it came to curriculum, but I told them sir, make sure that you give them decent enough time to invest on the extra curriculars because once they get out of the college. Cont- uh, the educational content, I am pretty sure they are going to gain hundred percent of all that you've taught. But if they don't take anything other than that, the extracurricular part, it's something that might put them behind in the race as compared to the others who come out strong. Yep, definitely. You said you were on the educational board, so what is it? Can you like elaborate on that? So basically, uh, for every uh, every department has an advisor board. and the advisor board comprises of professors or industry people from uh, different uh, professors from visiting faculties like let's say a professor from iit is a member of the board of electronics department electronics and telecommunication department in dj sambhi now that department would have two alumni and probably the alumni have to be let's say five years at least they passed out five years back or four years back or i don't remember the terms exactly but they had like two alumni two professors from different institutes two industry people from some different uh, larger corporations the college professors the principal and all these together these guys decide the curriculum the course and everything they submit it to the university for their approval and these members are important similarly i'm a member i'm a board member at nmms uh, business school like the uh, mba school so basically we define how the course should be we make recommendations that a subject like this should be added or should be removed they do a discussion on it and eventually the board decides whether they should add it or remove it so that's something why external advisors are important because internally you would never come to know the flaws or the new inputs and that's when the external advisors come into picture yeah when i didn't know uh, you could be a board member of a department inside a university interesting so yeah, yeah. so that's something the, the board decides whether they want to invite you it's not something like we can't apply for it it's like if the board decides to take a ex alumni they ask them if you would like to be a part of it it's something like that right 
So when did you join the board? Right out of uh, once after you graduated, or no? I guess I became a part of the EXTC board in 2018, and uh, the 2019 I became a board member at NMMS uh, MD. So uh, did yeah. you approach them, or they approached you for DJ? Uh, uh, they they approached. I had no idea. Like you guys, I had no idea something like that existed. Right. So they asked me. They asked me whenever they give me a call from college for anything. They know I I never deny them anything. I like I feel that's the best that you can do if you could be of any help back to the college. Probably whatever we didn't get in college or we missed out, I made those recommendations. Maybe the batches that come ahead get something out of it. So it's definitely why should the others also not get what you did not get? So I used to always be part of anything that college has always called out to ask for. I've always been there. Yeah, definitely. I've seen that uh, even even when you were in the fourth year and were uh, not uh, officially a part of the uh, fest college festival, you were definitely uh, you were ready to give your input, reach out to your connections. Uh, that's that's definitely something that you've always uh, done in in my. opinion 100% 100% but so, i think after dj like you had a like i don't know but for me it was very surprising that you did take up a job i think coming from like a marwadi background uh, i always thought that okay you would be looking forward to probably joining the family business or you would be looking at obviously like how you have started something of your own but like why ey and like what made you take up ey See, uh, my career decisions, frankly speaking, they've never been. I'm never. I don't know. I've always planned things in advance, but for some reason, for the last 30 years, nothing has ever gone as per the plan. I told you I wanted to do automobile engineering. I ended up in electronics and telecommunication. I was way for. I was way strong in my mind that once I do my electronics and telecommunication, I might take up a job or something, or might go uh, take up a job or something for a year and then go for masters to the US. either one and then i started studying for my masters in the us etc those entrance exams and everything in the last year of engineering i guess is when you start studying or giving those exams or in the end of third year or something like that and uh, just two days before my jre uh, um, ha jre was the exam just two days before my jre i was going to ahmedabad because my center was there and i just felt that was a point of going for masters in electronics and telecommunication core field because after my exposure or talking to people about the industry i realized that i don't wanted to stay back in the us that was something that was very clear on my mind so i was like if i want to come back going all the way studying something there and coming here and joining a company who's just going to pay me 2.5 lakhs or 3 lakhs or 4 lakhs on a very junior position so i was like i'm investing such a high amount of money and i'm not going to get it back also and i was someone again as you told me i'm a marwadi so i used to evaluate myself if i'm putting in let's say uh, 100000 into my cost how am i going to get at least 100000 back like a break even how would i do that and i knew if i come back to india immediately this i might take like 10 years to get the 100000 back so i decided no yeah no point though i gave my jre i don't even remember if the score was decent enough or it was good i don't think it was that good also i didn't do my jre and then the placements had come so like everyone i was also sitting in a placement they told me mass recruitment a placement but right i sat and coincidentally i got into ey and frankly speaking 
I had no idea what role I was taking at EY. In my opinion, I was in the financial sector. I was not into IT risk financial sector. And once I started doing my <laughs> job, after two months, I spoke to my partner. Okay, this is yeah, not so. He got pissed at me. Okay, in the interview, didn't you know what you were uh, being taken for? You. I told him I thought I'm in the financial services sector. I wanted to go on the financial side, not on the IT risk side, auditing and everything. So right. then that helped me groom it. Okay, no, this is what it is. It will change this that. I then I was like, okay, okay, two months more. I studied. I was like, okay, let's do it for a year. If I find something good, otherwise I'll make a move. And that's when two months I did more, and I guess I was one of the youngest analysts to quit EY. I guess I worked for like four months. I put in my papers. Fifth month I was out, and uh, I didn't join my family business because my family business was a conventional trading business. And after you do engineering and all these things, you feel like you're not you're not just going to end up into a trading business. You want to do something different. You want to try making an impact or something. So that's why I didn't want to do do my trading. Business, so I had taken up the job. Eventually, I quit and I joined the trading business. So that's another story altogether. But yeah, that is why I left it. And my point was simple because I found the work was monotonous. It was repeating on the same thing. I had a word with all my partners or my uh, seniors, everything. But they said they can't do anything about it because it's a, a hierarchy-based system where if you are at a position, you have to be there for a year or two years or three years. No one can skip a queue. And that's when I felt rather it's rather good to work in a smaller company than a larger corporation. Based on your LinkedIn profile, you did something in Harvard as well, right, Lily? Like you went to the US and you did some course there, right? So, like, how did you find about that, and what was the course exactly? So, um, after I quit, even I joined my family business. Now, obviously, if you don't want to do something, you will look for something that is better than that, or you will look for a reason to run away. And Harvard Summer School somehow became that reason only. I worked in my family business for like four months or five months. Then I found this Harvard Summer School via a friend of mine. And um, what I did is, though I looked at it as a reason to just run away from the current scenario, but I took up a course that was relevant to what my family was into. We were we are a supply chain uh, company, uh, basically solving supplies problems for major large corporations. So I was like, why not study supply chain management in deep? and that was one of my subject at harvard summer school it was an 8 week course it's a graduate subject but it's like you can take up two courses finish it over a period of 2 months and then uh, move to something else that you want to do or you can go back it's a certificate it's a credit course to what i remember i had a four credit for supply chain management and i had four credit for another course called e-commerce strategies though i didn't want to stay back in the us so i had fellows from the harvard business school who were studying in summer to for those credits because i don't very uh, well uh, know about the credit uh, study system in the us but it was something like they could finish their masters or graduate courses early if they do those summer subjects also so i had a very good crowd working uh, sorry studying with me in the harvard summer school so that was one amazing experience also one of my co-founder at my other at the company was someone who i met there So Harvard Summer School was a brilliant experience for me in that ways. Seven weeks, one subject. It's amazing. Hello, you I want to add some... something to that? Like you did this, like you did a similar course. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think I have been following Sumit's footsteps to the T. 
like from doing college or dj and dj festivals to like taking up ey and then eventually quitting taking up the harvard course within a year of uh, graduating and then also finding like a co-founder there so i i mean so far sumit i've just been like following you <laughs> also coming back and starting a company together yes also- 100% i i feel after you i feel unless until you are 30 in your uh, you graduate at somewhere around 21 22 or something not wrong experience everything of your uh, uh, list like if you ever thought that you want to let's say be a chef you must try try doing it for 3 months at least you won't regret not doing it and that's something if i go see myself in the background now in the flashback it's something that i tried to do as many things that i wanted to except the automobile part but i'm sure yet there's much time left i would get there some sometime in future but you i tried doing a job i didn't enjoy it so today if i'm let's say not doing good in my business i won't say isse acha tha main job kar raha tha i know okay i had done that so you remove those uh, lame reasons or something that you had in your list and you just have the right set of reasons now if you 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 have more clarity you know, if there's something that's not working you have more clarity on why it's not working and you won't be running away from it you'll be more of a problem solver then problem uh, then running away from the problems i think the theory of elimination is what you're talking about here like triage and 100 percent that's what i'm telling you in the pandemic also in the last 50 days or what What's the most time that I've utilized is I have just used the theory of elimination as you mentioned. I'm just eliminating everything that's on my guilt list. If I was not reading enough, I started reading enough. And if I didn't enjoy reading enough, at least I will not blame myself for not reading enough. I realized that I didn't enjoy reading. So at least you move to a next thing on your wish list. Okay, ha, okay, yeah, it's okay. If you're not reading enough, that's because you're not enjoying enough. So you're doing something else. I used to love cooking, and I'm not cooking during my pandemic. So I'm like. Oh, wow i'm liking to cook so i regret that i did not give so much time to cooking so do you uh, so how, when do you decide that okay like reading is not for me i don't enjoy doing that much is it like after a certain period of time or do you like okay i i decided to read five books i'm not even through the first book uh, and then uh, you give up like is there or there's no no system that Uh, see i i feel there's nothing that should be uh, it should be an individual thing for me what i had done is i uh, bought this uh, 300 pages book it was on jack ma and i bought a book from an industry that i follow so i was like how jack ma built alibaba uh, a house that jack ma built was the name of the book it was a 300 pages book what i thought is uh, there's uh, 15 day ka lockdown sorry 30 days uh, lockdown period i just have to read 10 pages a day that's it and i'll be done through the 300 pages if i'm able to do it i just give myself one book a month like that was the best case scenario target you can set for yourself one book in a month with nothing to do at your end and i guess uh, it's been 40 days now and i'm on the 18th page it's a clear okay. picture that i'm not enjoying reading it yeah <laughs> but I, but at the same time i have a book called uh, Uh, it's on sam walton the autobiography of sam walton he is the founder of walmart and that book was i guess some 400 pages and i finished that book in 5 days so it's also a thing that maybe the way the book was written is something that i could connect more so i could not generalize it but i understood one thing that on a larger scale i'm not a book reading person i could read a few books but i'm not a book reading person so i will stop judging myself 
stop being disappointed that oh shit yaar i am not reading enough that is i'm bad or that is i'm lagging maybe i'm maybe you're good at something else so look for that otherwise you need to stop judging yourself it took me 30 years to get to that point it's okay to if you're not doing something the entire world is doing it's okay there's nothing wrong in it so you uh, came back to india after the harvard and uh, uh, you you started your own company uh, yeah so, did you want to talk about that yeah so once i came back from harvard uh, i started a so uh, for immediately as soon as i came there was an e-commerce wave that was just picking up in india so what i did is the first thing i did is i came back and i just joined my dad's business because when you have nothing to do it's okay rather just spend time doing something at hand rather than wasting that's something that my mom had told me until you find something of purpose enough for you to do just do something at your dad's offices in the dad's business so what i did is everything that was dead stock in my warehouse i listed them on amazon and i started selling them and the surprising thing was that the dead stock was sold and my dad reordered that dead stock because it was selling so quickly on amazon like amazon used to pay us incentives for selling those products because those products were so scarce even we had no idea about it and that's how the e-commerce thing started building up for us in 2013 it started doing really well etc and then see e-commerce was a thing which the best thing about e-commerce was the shop was open 24/7 so the the real surprising part for a traditional family business which has been in the industry for like 30 40 years is when you go home and you come back in the morning and before you answer the first call the sales have already been done done in the night and that was really interesting for my brother for my father to see ke, oh wow and you used to get payments every 7 days you know have to follow up with vendors and everything that's how the, i started getting into the e-commerce industry it's right pulling me towards it and while doing all these things we were make, redoing our office and i found barren walls in my office so i was like we should decorate with some good uh, frames motivational frames and everything and we started doing that and from there we clicked an idea to think pot so this problem was similar to me and ritesh both of us ritesh was based in delhi my other co-founder so we clicked that why can't we just do it and so that's how we uh, started with think pot and we came up with a, a company that would just make motivational products and sell fascinating so uh, actually i had a question like if someone was to start uh, the amazon uh, journey now do you think they would get that much traction uh, i know like e-commerce is much bigger now than when you first started but if a small uh, business owner wants to sell their stuff through amazon uh, do you think that's still a viable option uh why not anyone who wants to do if you think you have a product decent enough see my point is the first point is that unless you try you won't come to know if you think whether it will sell or whether it will not sell even if you ask jeff bezos himself whether that product will sell or will not sell he is just going to tell you at least list the product on the website if it sells it sells if it does not sell it does not sell there is no harm in listing it you just have to list it it's a free listing if it sells you make money if it doesn't sell it's okay it's either way your product it's with you it's not even going anywhere i right. think uh, adding to this i feel like uh, probably it's the e-commerce wave 2.0 now for india as well uh, seeing the current situation and people's belief in digital getting stronger and that one medium being like i mean i see a lot of housewives who were so accustomed to going to like traditional kirana stores and buying their grocery to now being okay with a dmart app or a big basket app so 
there is a very big shift that has happened because of this pandemic and i think that will carry forward for years ahead 100% 100% the pandemic has given a next level like how uh, the uh, demonetization was for the financial companies in india is what pandemic is to the entire digital commerce industry post pandemic the digital commerce is going to pick up really well most of the large corporations have been spending all their period in this pandemic in building their own e-commerce uh, portals or e-commerce websites or strengthening their core systems to support e-commerce and that's i guess it also speaks about why this digital commerce is going to pick up is something answered very well by why walmart acquired flipkart in india because digital commerce is the future of uh, businesses i mean more than that the acceptability and the belief in transactions online i think one of the biggest drawbacks of uh, e-commerce not picking up was people being scared of doing transactions online which now with no option left people have become very mm. used to and i think the whole cash on delivery thing will also like that was one thing that was invented i believe only for india uh, initially when amazon like amazon us i believe did not have it at that point of time but like for india market and understanding the indian ecosystem they brought that into picture so that thing also will kind of slow down now and people will be very open to using digital wallets and online payments and at the same time i already see that like so many traditional retail stores and all of those people are looking forward to having their own e-commerce setup and i think with the geo uh, tying up with facebook there is definitely going to be a very different new wave of how commerce is going to happen across cities even in the smallest of villages now yeah i mean uh, so i was talking to a friend uh, on uh, on the call he was in india he was in a cab uh, going somewhere uh, and when he reached there uh, it was like like the fare was 50 bucks um, he didn't have the change so he's like can you go to the nearest atm the cab wala is like you don't have google pay just send me via google oh, pay wow. that i think was a beautiful moment that that is when like i think india accepted digital payments they know it works you know no one's going to run away with your money so that was very powerful and i paid so many times i paid a rickshaw wala in paytm because i didn't have change and they accepted paytm the reason they are also accepting paytm is because where normally earlier they used to not uh, accept pay, payments via digital mode because uh, it used to stay in their wallet used to take time to come into the bank account everything with digitization these periods have become so shorter plus the usability for example when they get into a dmart store the rickshaw like we goes to buy a grocery in a dmart store paytm is accepted there so he immediately uses the funds those funds there also the convenience of someone stealing from them while they are writing it also has been taken care of so there are a lot of pros also that are happening and that's something that's really pushing the entire digital world ahead yeah i think i have a beautiful story here like this happened recently just before the biggest lockdown that happened in mumbai uh, my mother in law and sister in law were in belgaum like she studies there and there was just this last flight to bombay back like that was their only means if they had to come back to the city otherwise after that i think all borders were getting shut and in spite of not having like any cash on hand they just like barely like 5000 10000 bucks and they just like reached the airport and spice just authorities they just like they had their boarding passes ready and they barely took like some uh, amount to, and they, they were just like once you'll reach back to bombay just make sure you e pay it to us and i mean this is 
something that's the first time i've seen where an airlines is doing this like the airlines is like okay you pay us later but just like uh, i mean people accepting it so easily that was really fascinating so yeah i mean so you had caught on the digital wave and the e-commerce wave so how i mean how did that impact building thing pot for you and how did you take it to the next level what were your initial steps in building it and how did you probably do the whole setup i mean manufacturing and warehousing all of those things are uh, are still in an unorganized segment in india and like navigating through them and figuring out how do you build the best effective cost effective product for your uh, audiences and for your consumers how did you manage that whole journey so when we started our core aim was that whatever product we remove it has to be affordable something that startups can buy because ritesh and me both had a thing for startups once we came back from harvard we even invested in a couple of startups together because both of us were very inclined towards the startup community the startup space how these industries work somehow that interest also connected both of us together really well our understanding of industries and that's exactly what we knew our target audience was we knew the amount they would spend and what we should deliver so that they feel that it's a justifiable amount now for a startup when you're selling them a poster for 200 bucks it's a huge amount for a startup because they are looking at 10 posters normally the posters that were available in the market were all like if they are designed and they are well designed or they are branded they used to be like 1000 bucks or 1200 bucks and we realized these companies can't afford so much so we came up with posters in the price of 199 149 inclusive of free delivery to anywhere in india these companies used to buy like four posters five posters for their wall some companies who could there was a large corporation who bought i guess some 30 frames on our first day that was our first order in thinkpod and each frame costed them at that time something around 1200 bucks now for a corporate company with around 300 employees spending 30000 to decorate the entire wall space around the office was petty amount but the impact those frames was doing was phenomenal and that's the kind of game that we really caught on we realized that in that period people have started to value their employees they have started to understand and uh, realize that the wall spaces in their offices are also to be seen as a real estate value like how we calculate per square foot how how much do you end up spending you spend you're spending 10000 bucks per square foot in let's say rent or sorry uh, in a in a when you're buying it if you're looking at renting it you're spending 100 rupees per square feet uh for our office space so we realized that while not utilizing the walls that are coming for free and that's that's how we started building our products okay those spaces are normally just white walls or they are images of leaders but there are no good sayings if there are good sayings they are not well designed so we focus on these problems of the corporates or the startups based on either our own experiences or via our friends and that's how we started building these products and started and the minute we started doing this the first thing that we did is because we had got a good success via amazon previously in my family business we didn't restrict ourselves to just our own e store because you know when you start a new e-commerce company not everyone trusts you so easily 
once or twice they bought your product from somewhere they'll have a comfort in buying from you because they are like ha genuine the product comes in a decent packaging or comes nicely packed so they just start building confidence and that's exactly what we did we had really poor sales like our sales on our website was like 0.5% to 99.5% when we started and today you can say 10% of our sales or let's say 15% of our sales is purely on our website so those are the ratios that start building up and these once you start buying online couple of times they buy they come back to you on your own website and then they start buying from your website because you're offering a huge range on your own website it's easy to browse around from that particular brand and that product so that's how we started building our e-commerce business a lot of that was on the go learning and a lot of it we learned or we created because nothing of that sort existed back then i completely agree like wow. i have uh, bought multiple uh, motivational posters from your uh, from thinkpot like to give to friends who have startups and i was not able to find uh, anywhere else like what what you guys have in terms of designs as well as uh, the, the quality of uh, the product i i am a loyal user of thinkpot in fact the first set of uh, stationeries and diary and everything that i created for web shakers i was by sumit and uh, i i believe like the more than anything uh, the quality of the product has been amazing i think that is why i mean if you are a friend i would buy it once from you because it's your company but me being a loyal customer would only be if you retain that kind of quality throughout and across all your products so that's one thing that you all have managed to do so well so uh, can anyone in india invest in startups or do you have to have certain licenses or uh oh, nothing like that so in, so i we were angel investors so we used to so couple of companies that we invested in were founded by let's say a friend of ours or someone we knew or someone introduced us to them and uh, coming back to if anyone can invest yes anyone can invest it was it's not a very difficult thing to invest in companies but as an angel investor it's a lot of trust patience and that you need to have when you get into investing and it's a very rare thing that people have it most of the people need very quick returns and everything so that's one place why we don't see too many angel investors the past few years the scenarios changed mm-hmm. we have a very good number of angel investors now i see interesting so like here if you want to be an angel investor or accredited investors you 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 need to have certain uh net worth uh, uh, or should have certain uh, income sources which are above a threshold there's no regulation like that uh, in india I, or i don't think there's a threshold like that or there's anything like that in the us also i don't think it's there anywhere if you have money you can invest in any company it's okay i don't think there's any uh, this thing let's say a company right. let's say a company starting with $10000 and you have you're offering $2000 from your pocket there's nothing harm in it as far as you're clear that you're just an investor you're not a working partner oh okay because here like for the accredited investor which opens up a lot of uh, uh, other asset uh, classes that you can invest in you need to have a net worth of more than a million dollars and income of uh, more than 250000 for last two uh, two years that okay. that i know uh, oh. but it uh, it might not apply to like partnerships uh, if you want to be like an angel investors and uh, yeah. uh, like with a tag you definitely need to uh, have that those oh. those qualifications oh. uh, so much so uh, going back to think for like how did you come up with the name so um, we had uh, uh, we were 
once we got the idea uh, we had actually did a test run by a different brand of ours we had a brand called speaking frames uh, already registered by with us so we were like let's utilize that and we done we had done a test run with a lot of products with speaking frames be- this was before thinkpot officially coming out we did that once we learned that was doing well we we decided we'll make this a full fledged thing but then speaking frames we thought we would restrict ourselves to things around frames always forever so that is why we started thinking of a better name and uh, we we used to make a list of names every day we used to strike off some used to keep them the immediately a name used to click we used to check if a website domain is available if that's available can it be is it a registered brand with someone else already or can we register it and uh, if everything was clear it was on a shortlisted category but frankly saying we had like 10 12 good shortlisted names fulfilling aura categories but nothing was so powerful or we all of us were immediately like wow it was always ha huh, this is good this is good yeah yeah we can keep this we can keep this so we started asking people around i was asking my family members back home and that's when my sister in law puna i happened to ask her hey what do you think these are the kind of names that we are thinking for this company of ours and she is the most creative person uh, in our family when it comes to content writing in fact she is the content writing uh, head for thinkpot uh, everything around content social media content could it be article content a lot of things so we asked her and she she told us um, what's the product she asked me so i i explained her the product its motivation it's something that gives you that immediate punch to just go out and do something big if you're thinking something to execute and that's when she told me ke how about thinkpot and i was like why thinkpot it is a good name i was like yeah yeah the name sounds good but why thinkpot what's it she's like the best things that you do or you think of are always sorry the best things you think of let's keep it that is are always when you're on the pot that's when you're dreaming the most or you're thinking most of the out of the box ideas when you're on the pot and she's like that is why i think pot and for a second we were like yeah that's funny and you're like me are it sounds weird but then all of us are like the words too powerful and yes it did make sense and we look for the registrations and everything and everything was available so we were like let's go with this it's the perfect thing and that's how the name came into being <laughs> it's hilarious <laughs> yeah, the only thing is the only thing is it took us six months no it took us one year almost to identify that our website was not opening in a lot of corporate corporations and website uh, uh mncs the reason was think what also meant something to do around drugs and we had no idea about it <laughs> and oh. that is why it used to block our website it used to not open this was when we started getting into corporate gifting and our clients used to be like आपका वेबसाइट नहीं खुल रहा है हमको मोबाइल पे खोलना पड़ता है डेटा पे जाके थ्री जी फोर जी पे वाईफाई पे नहीं खुलता है ऑफिस के कंप्यूटर पे नहीं खुलता है एंड वी आस्क देम जस्ट सेंड एज एन एरर एंड द एरर यूज टू कम के ड्रग एंड सेक्सुअल कंटेंट अब्यूजिव और समथिंग लाइक दैट एरर दैट इज वाई इट हैज बीन ब्लॉक्ड कॉन्टैक्ट एडमिनिस्ट्रेटर एंड इट टू कर्स अराउंड थ्री टू सिक्स मंथ्स टू गेट इट फिल्टर्ड आउट फ्रॉम सीमेंटेक नॉट एंड वी आर टू राइट टू दीज कंपनीज टू गेट आर वेबसाइट वाइट लिस्टेड एंड नाउ इट्स कंप्लीट so we eventually got a tagline for our company get high on motivation connecting to think <laughs> oh well done yeah <laughs> so uh, i mean yeah so with getting into like the whole i, I mean your journey is and the name finding is amazing and it is hilarious but yeah w- what we know about lot of e-commerce businesses and there are like these set of things that people talk about that e-commerce businesses in their first 
four years or first two years do not make any profits and we are just to like build an audience cater an audience get a lifetime value of a customer and then look at making profit so was that something that you always i mean were aware of or was that the kind of journey that you embarked on or did you have like a different story so uh, when we started now we never had any experience of starting up we had no investors other than ourselves so we had no one guiding us how to do whether this is the right thing or wrong thing see e-commerce being a new industry that back then the e-commerce companies that you could think of was amazon flipkart and they were too large for us to even compare ourselves to it and both of us being part of our conventional family businesses we knew one thing how much did you buy it for how much did you sell it for how much is left with you are you able to sustain in what is left if yes that's a company you're doing some business if no you're doing something wrong and you need to figure it out that was our pure protocol from the start that is why for some reason i feel we are one of the slowest growing companies in our eyes we see it when it comes to let's say numbers or something but we were one of the only profitable companies amongst our competition there were many companies that propped up during our time with let's say technology or with heavy marketing spends etc but most of them shut down by the period of 2 years or 3 years in being when they were not able to raise more funds or something and expenses are something that you can very easily increase but you can't reduce them as soon as the expenses start uh, as, as soon as the incoming funds stop slowing down so that's one reason why we were like it took us 2 years to stay operationally profitable and so first year we made a few losses but our losses were not money gone off it's something let's say we bought a few racks for our warehouse so the money is with us it's just in the form of an object lying in our office we bought new laptop we bought a new license the license is actually going to take a period of 5 years but in this year you're seeing that as a loss it took us 2 years to get over it third year onwards we were profitable and fortunately we never had to go the negative way after that ever and i feel that's the actual way of doing business you ask anyone who's done business for years they'll talk about profits but then what what is your take on all these businesses which are working on highly funded uh majorly the highly funded startups with marketing spends and acquisition like lot of these businesses which were like uh, first in its uh, time had to also educate their customers and spend on that before they even got into like the purchase model be it like paytm i believe that when they came into picture they had to have a very massive education drive before they even started onboarding people and then they got into a segment where they went into like having x amount of transactions on their portal and now becoming one of the india's biggest payment gateways or payment wallets so what is your take on initially investing and uh, going big creating a market for yourself and then in the long term seeing the benefits out of it or is it more towards this route where you balance your prof- your income versus your expense and then navigate through it in that manner i don't think there's any way that one needs to choose it's a different model completely i would say uh, what your business requires what do you think you can do it's based on that today for example there was a company who wanted to invest in our company thinkpot and their reason for investment was they were like we want you to go the retail way we want you to start opening stores 
and they gave us projections let's say you open 10 stores in a year then 20 in the another year and etc 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 and it just didn't click us because let's say the amount of funding that they were going to put in would help us open 12 stores not sustain the 12 stores it'll help us open 12 stores but we'll again have to start looking for more investors or something to keep opening stores and our way of doing business was if the 12 stores are not giving us profit enough we are not opening more stores so it was a different kind of approach both are right some people say you need to scale up too big first and then start recorrecting anything that you've not done right during the way some people say we'll do it slowly but we'll do the correct way throughout so it's a choice that people make now another part comes in when you say let's say a company like paytm you give me an example uh, they went the funding way was it the right way or the wrong way so i would say for products like those they were, they were making a finance technology product financial technology product and sometimes products like those take years to build let's say they took i believe they had started sometime in 2003 2011 is when they ventured into paytm e-commerce and in 2014 they ventured into the paytm payment segment or 2015 i'm not very sure on the year they ventured into the paytm uh, payment gateway and the payment model but 2011 was when they ventured into the e-commerce market they ventured into the e-commerce category 2011 or 12 was because flipkart snapdeal these guys was really scaling up in that period and that was a industry where you used to go to any investor and they would be like oh you are in e-commerce we are ready to invest in you and there there were many portals that came up back then many shut down some could some lucky ones or the right ones could stay there was a there was a company called shopclues i don't see them today maybe they exist but they didn't become as large as the others like flipkart and uh, amazon stayed uh, i don't hear about snapdeal anymore i don't hear about shopclues anymore i don't hear about paytm uh, marketplace or there was something called paytm market or paytm e-commerce i don't hear about them but some companies ventured into a different portal like paytm ventured into the payment segments and they are doing absolutely great work there it took them 5 years to build that kind of technology and that is why they need the kind of funding they need they were very clear maybe when they pitched to the investors the investors very well know that they would take 3 to 5 years to build the product 7 to 8 years to get to break even and that's their investors have done the kind of calculations so it's a different model a founders approach what you want to do what you think is right for your business there's no right or wrong in it i guess that we and it sounds very similar to what happened in the us in the 98 2000 time frame when there was this dot com bubble and all the different websites were coming in and people if they heard that it is a dot com company then they would just go in and invest in them so i think it's very similar to what happened so like uh, like what i want to ask you like what leads to those companies failing like like why weren't they able to expand further was it because their investors pulled out because they were not showing profitability or they were not moving or adapting quick enough sometimes when you have too much of funds also you lose the real direction why you started that's something that i have noticed most of the companies fail because the core vision why the company was founded gets lost while scaling up or while building the company on the way and sometimes they realize it's not the right thing they tried their best and they shut it down because it didn't work well so there are multiple reasons why these companies fail when funds definitely are a reason why these companies fail i believe flipkart snapdeal both of them were valued at uh, phenomenal figures 
one of them failed because the other guy was supported or funded really well by larger corporations or had a continuous supply of funds so when it came the war of prices snapdeal couldn't put a good fight to flipkart and they lost in the way and amazon came from somewhere else and flipkart and amazon became the new competitors and all the others were left behind in the market so it's also luck there's no particular reason it's just i feel and also one of the reason was snapdeal was a coupons website which eventually get into market uh, into e-commerce they were really good when it came to e-commerce also but they had a very okay ui they did not have a good customer service whereas amazon came in they were heads up on their customer service that's how amazon was able to sustain and make an entry into the indian market flipkart up their game with customer service again was able to and the other stayed stayed back so there are multiple reasons why a company sustains but definitely if you build it slowly and steadily uh, there you won't need to do a lot of corrections on the way makes sense and you talked about core mission so like what is the core mission for thinkpot so when we founded thinkpot our core mission was one thing simple that our in fact our first tagline was our vision is to ensure you don't lose yours that is our mission statement that was our vision statement and our vision is that you don't that we ensure you don't lose yours our idea was just to have a product if you're thinking something in the morning there's a just there's this a positive message do something awesome today written on a mug and you're reading a, and you're just drinking a coffee from your coffee mug and it says do something awesome today it gives you a smile or it gives you that additional push when you're alone there's no one to talk to the mug speaks to you it's a thought chosen by you for yourself it keeps reminding you of your goals or your thoughts and that's something we thought the young millennials that we are the largest population in the youth segment is what we were i don't remember the exact stats but when we started it was something like 40% of the countries in the age band of 20 to 35 and we figured out that people in these age groups want everything fast they are not very patient they need a they need quick results and everything and that is why a lot of people end up in depression or they end up losing their uh, core goals of what they are doing they start losing their path that's why we thought these products would do those kind of work for them they'll give them those additional push and there were many testimonials around these that customers gave us which keep giving keep giving us the kind of boost to stay alive they used to tell us that this really helped them so that gave us the kind of motivation to stay alive to keep doing what we are doing So that's it folks. This is end of part 1. We'll be continuing Sumit Ranka's journey in part 2 of this episode. We'll be discussing his startup named Innovate, which was a co-working space in India, later got incubated in Y Combinator in San Francisco, and finally got acquired by Oyo Rooms. We will be also talking about Sumit being recognized in Forbes 30 under 30 Asia and continuing with our segments. You can find more about Sumit in the show notes below. Thank you for listening in. Like and subscribe if you haven't done that already. That would help us a lot. You can even read this episode on the streaming service of your choice. You can reach out to us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram or our website. We would love to hear from you. This is Haloni, Atit and Tapan signing off and this was what we had.